0: See so here the word of our God, Second Samuel six and verse twenty. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael the daughter of Saul came out to meet David and said, "How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself." So David said to Michael, "It was before the Lord." who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. (coughs) Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this (coughs) and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death may god add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word Amen. well for the last few weeks of course we have been focusing our attention here on this uh, all-important chapter learning about the significance of worship and how david sought to unite israel in worship of yahweh for david and all true believers our worship of God is ultimately the most important thing that we do. And so, whether we do so formally in a called worship setting, like here this evening, or um, as we worship in other ways, like our worship at home <clears throat> with our families or individually, uh, as we prepare for worship throughout the week, as the saying goes, you keep the fourth commandment not just on Sunday, but throughout the week in preparation. Uh, or even if we talk about worshiping God in all that we do, whether it's uh, shoveling snow or cleaning clothes or what we do at work or school or whatever. And certainly, we can talk about all of those things. But ultimately, our focus here is on worshiping God, and simply, he deserves it. He deserves our best. And so for David... (coughs) The singing, the celebration, the writing of songs, the playing of instruments, the setting apart of a place and making it conducive for worship, this is what's driving him. This is what his focus is here in this chapter. Obviously, uh, last week we focused on some of the content of the worship. As we looked at First Chronicles chapter 16, um, we spend most of our time there looking at the psalm that he wrote for worshiping of God, and you might remember at the beginning it says about praising, thanking, and remembering God for his ways, his works, and so on. And so we, of course, then use the word of God, we use the sacraments, we use prayer, as well as singing and taking of vows and giving of tithes and offerings. But worship ultimately is Can you say not an action, but an attitude? Now, it's obviously both, but our attitude is maybe more important than the things that we do. But as we've seen, what we do is important. If you don't, you're going to die, right? Like Uzzah. Uh, And so it's hard to distinguish this. It's really both. But for David, can you say basking in God's presence is most important? We can also certainly talk about edification by worshiping with the people of God. I'm sure people were, if you will, on a mountaintop, on a high, a religious high here after these great events in chapter 6. But unfortunately, there are some who do not like to worship. Now, in an ultimate sense, of course, none of us like to worship. As unbelievers, of course, We uh, suppress this command, these ideas. We don't want to worship. Unbelievers find it boring. They'd rather sleep in or watch football or something like that. Uh, But even for us as believers, our old man is still there that would rather not worship. Because worship brings us close to God, and that's threatening. It means we're going to have to change. It means we're going to have to respond to a holy God, and that can be very disconcerting. And certainly we can add the idea that none of us worship as we ought. Even when we're trying, we are falling short, and certainly that fits with what Paul has been teaching us. And so worship, as joyous as it is, as important as it is, is rather challenging. And if we're honest with ourselves, we find our, uh, that we struggle with it to do it well. <clears throat> there are many times that I come to the end of the worship and I'm like, okay, I worshiped a little bit here and there, but I was focusing on preaching. I was focusing on what's next in the service and you know, you can be distracted. To put it this way, some of us, or maybe we should say all of us, can be like Michael. Here you have an Israelite woman married to the king, daughter of the previous king. Surely she went to church, as it were, on a regular basis, but it's clear for Michael that worship is not important in her life. And for some of us, Maybe that's the case, too. We might come here and sit in the pews. And we may go through the motions, but worship really is not all that important. And maybe we even criticize those who f- seek to be excited about worship. Well, with this to kind of set the stage for what we are going to see, let us uh, take this handout, this outline here briefly. And uh, <clears throat> I want to call our attention to what's on the right side of of the printout here. And uh, I debated when to do this, Uh, to do it at the beginning of the chapter or somewhere in the middle. Uh, I decided to put it here at the end because I think it helps us to see how this passage fits together in this way. And you'll notice that there are basically two sections to the chapter. And so verses 2 to 4 talk about bringing up the ark as do verses 12 to 13. Verse 5 talks about the joy of doing that, and the initial excitement, right? The 30,000 people come and so forth. Um, and then in verses 14 and 15, again, we see those ideas. But then we see the tragedy in verses 6 and 7 with Uzzah and such there and his uh, death. And we see verse 16, the initial reference to Michael and her rejection, her... her. Uh, Despising of David. But then in verses 8 and 9, we see David's reaction to the tragedy, which was fear and anger. And now here, uh, David's reaction is, you might say, to ignore her at first. And largely that's because she despised him in her heart at first. And so notice David is giving offerings, blessing the people, giving gifts, and so forth. And now here, this final part, verses 10 and 11, In the house of Obed-Edom, there is blessing, but in the house of David, there's contempt. So I think this helps us to see how the author, again, is this Gad, is this Nathan, whoever it was, it, it helps us to see how he arranged it and why verse 16 is in the wrong place, it seems. This is why it's in the wrong place. From the perspective of just reading down through the chapter. But you may remember, as I, it was the week we looked at verses 17 to 19. I just touched on verse 16, and I made the comment and said, well, we'll return to it, and now we are. But I also made the comment that this verse casts a shadow over everything that's happening in this part. Again, beginning in verse 12, David realizes there's blessing. Okay, let's go get the ark, and he tries it again. And everything is going well this time, but here is now this shadow Of sin cast over this great event. As significant as Uzzah's death was, because he, David, and the rest did not obey God's word, so too now Michael's response has the same kind of significance. It's not just being ignorant of the law that warrants death, it's not just having good intentions without obedience that deserves judgment like we saw in that opening section. But now, deliberate disdain deserves judgment too. So, let's look here a little bit then at verse 16. Let me read it here for us. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And so interrupting this joy, this worship, especially there in verses 14 and 15, and then verses 17 to 19, we see that not everybody was excited. And you know, this isn't anything unusual, right? Don't we often have this kind of setting where at least one person is not happy about something? And so you could have the best sermon in the world that is pleasing to the Lord, and somebody's going to complain about something. You can have a celebration of 50 years of marriage and all this excitement of how God has blessed this couple, and somebody's going to bring up the problems in the family. Or you can have a parade to celebrate a Super Bowl victory, and it can end with murder and violence. It is quite common in this life, of course, to have very good things marred by sin in some way or another. And so we certainly look forward to heaven without sin. And so here you have Michael, Saul's daughter. Notice the description again here, verse 16. She looked, she saw, she despised. Three actions here on her part in this way. She saw David leaping, whirling, dancing, jumping for joy. Let's turn a moment to First Chronicles chapter 15. And I do want to connect back to one more point here in a moment or so. But uh, remember, of course, we've been looking here First 1 Chronicles chapters 13, 15, and 16 because they greatly expound on what we see here in Second Samuel 6. So we've been looking at this, and you may recall that in chapter 15, it's all about what's happening and getting ready to bring the ark the second time and bringing it to Jerusalem and getting everybody ready, all these Levites, all these musicians, doing it the right way this time, and so on and so forth. But then the chapter ends with the reference to Michael. So in verse 29, And it happened as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David whirling and playing music, and she despised him in her heart. So it's very much the same, but note the additional comment there about him playing music. And as you come back to chapter 6, that is part of his response. In verse 21, I will play music before the Lord. So we have an additional point here. He's not just jumping around. He's not just dancing. He's not just excited in this way. He's also playing his harp or his lyre. Now, probably there were some of both. It wasn't necessarily doing it all at the same time, um, but still, he was doing these um, both of these things: dancing and playing music in his celebration. All right, now the last thing to notice here back in 2 Samuel 6, verse 19, or verse 16, excuse me, uh, her response was in her heart at first. And this isn't this where it begins? Right? As Jesus says, out of the heart proceed all kinds of evil things. So in her heart, she despises David. But unfortunately, it didn't stay in her heart, which again is not much of a surprise. And so as we come now to verse 20, After David led with the sacrifices and with the blessing of the people and the giving of the gifts, these priestly activities, verse 20, then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. All right, David is... Blessed Israel, now he's coming home to bless his, his own family. But the way this is described, it sounds like he hasn't even made it in the door yet. And Michael comes and meets David on the way. Now, maybe it's down the road, maybe it's just out before he gets onto the front step. But the implication sounds like he hasn't blessed his family yet, and she intervenes. No longer is this just an evil thought. Michael acts upon it, and she rebukes David here in this way. that word for meat can be used to emphasize confronting encountering someone even in battle it can be used in that way and so simply she doesn't want the blessing and so she stops him before he does it now she probably didn't know that what he was, what it was he was going to do excuse me uh, but she... Uh, encounters him here in this way. And actually three times she says about him uncovering himself. The New King James only translates the word twice. It's actually there three times. You've uncovered yourself. All right, now let's uh, um, flesh this out a little bit. Uh, In verse 14, you remember it says, David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Now here's the other time I want us to look at 1 Chronicles 15 here just a moment. Uh, if you look at uh, 1 Chronicles 15 and in verse 27, you remember we, we saw this, David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who bore the ark, the singers and Kenaniah, the music, excuse me, the music master with the singers. David also wore a linen ephod. So once again, you see 1 Chronicles giving us a little more information Uh, And here he is dressed like a priest, and he also has this robe on. And so it appears that David started uh, with the linen ephod, but also the robe over top of that. Uh, Maybe he got hot or something and took it off at some point, and he's left with the linen ephod. So he's still dressed, but just not as thoroughly. The robe very likely would have been full length. The linen ephod would have been shorter than that, probably down to the thigh or something to that effect. And so therefore, when he danced, when he leaped, the clo- clothing rose up and left him exposed at least somewhat. And as Michael says, all the young ladies were watching. Now, <clears throat> let me also bring in this point. Historically, at the time, um, Pagans typically ministered in their temples without any clothes on. The priests typically didn't wear anything. In Israel, no, absolutely not. They had to be clothed in all these things because they had to be clothed in righteousness and holiness in order to minister before the Lord because we have shame. We are sinners, right, after Adam and Eve sinned. So the pagans basically deny what happened in Genesis 3 when they are standing before, not the true God, of course, but before God to worship. But God had it set up differently. So David is not acting like the pagans here. And yet, isn't that really what Michael is saying? You are acting like these base fellows, as the New King James puts it. You can translate the word as empty or worthless. You're acting like a worthless pagan. And yet, he wasn't. Now, this, of course, has raised all kinds of questions. What's really motivating Michael here? What is she thinking? How is she coming to this conclusion or something to that effect? Okay. Well, let's turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 19 here just a moment. Okay. And you recall in um, chapter uh, 18... Uh, This is right where uh, David marries Michael. And so in chapter 19, um, things are going okay. But then Saul gets upset and he wants to kill David and Jonathan talks him out of it. And it's okay for a little while. And then the evil spirit comes upon Saul again and he tries to kill David. And so this time uh, he escapes and Michael helps him do it. And remember in uh, verse 13, of First Samuel 19, she took an image and laid it in the bed and put the goat's hair and, and such there to pretend David is there. Um, doesn't sound like she's all that concerned about worshiping Yahweh there, does it? Um, well, it continues, right? David escapes, he goes to Samuel's there in Ramah and Samuel's little uh, uh, seminary, if you will. And uh, Saul then tries to track down David. He sends messengers. Remember, they start prophesying as they get uh, close to Samuel. Well, finally Saul goes. And uh, verse 23, spirit came upon him too. And verse 24, and he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Uh, Some have tried to make the case that, Uh, Michael was traumatized by that event, her father acting in this way. And so now here is her husband, however many years later, acting in a similar way in her mind. And yet Saul was completely unclothed, uh, David not. And yet this is why she got so worked up, so to speak. She's embarrassed by it. Maybe that's part of it. Some have tried to make the case that for Michael, it was just simply because she was mad at David. He left her, right? Here he escapes, he never came back for. And then Saul gave her to some other man. And then David comes and takes her from that other man and brings her back into his house. And by this time, he has half a dozen other wives. And so it's not so great for her. And so she's just mad. Maybe. Maybe Michael is simply jealous. And this is what's prompting her. She's, again, not the only wife as initially, but now one of several. Some have tried to make the case that she's just being a legalistic prude. And uh, she's more concerned about showing a little skin than about worship. Now, obviously, we do need to be concerned about modesty, but it sounds like maybe she is Being a nagging wife, as it were, in this way. Let me read. Uh, This is from Dr. Davis, who is quoting from a man called John Hercus. And here's how he puts it When David came home at last, tired and flushed, still delirious with the truth he had been singing and dancing all that day, Michael rose from the lounge on which she had been reclining. Her makeup was just right. Not a wisp of untidied hair was out of place, not a crease in her beautifully fitted gown. Her long lashes hung disdainfully over her eyes that looked him up and down with a quick contemptuous glance of scorn. Well, she said slowly, deliberately averting her eyes as if some distinctly repugnant sight were before her. What a spectacle. What a scene the king of Israel made of himself today. It was simply disgusting. Dancing about like that with all the people watching, kicking your legs up in the air in that shameless way. You should have been... You should have seen the gaping of all the servant girls. It was positively vulgar. She turned her back and left. Maybe this is what's motivating her. She does say uncover three times here. But I'm not sure that that's all that there is. I'm inclined, my my own view here, is that it's probably uh, several of these things, not just one in particular. Notice that no one else seems to be upset with David. Okay? Again, whether Gad or Nathan or whoever, he doesn't describe anybody else being upset. It seems to be Michael's problem. Notice also David's response. In verses 21 and 22, obviously he does not say, Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that uh, my, my ephod came up so much. And you know, forgive me, he doesn't respond that way. Um. And David suggests even more, it seems. Notice what Michael says, how glorious was the king of Israel today. That's the first words out of her mouth. And David's response continues to talk about himself as king, especially in contrast to Saul. Some have tried to make the case that the point I'm going to make just now is the main point. I'm not sure that that's true. I think it's probably a variety of things, but here's the, what may be the main point. Michael's upset that David did not wear kingly garments and did not act like a king. He wasn't wearing a crown with this uh, great regalia around him. He wasn't walking regally, He wasn't being carried on a litter or something like that. He was not acting like a king. He was immodest in his dress. He was common in his dress, just a linen ephod. He didn't play the part of the leader of a nation. Michael is concerned with decorum, with outward things. So whether you consider some of the other points that I mentioned here, or just this one, you, you definitely can see that, right? She is only concerned about the outward appearances David's behavior was unworthy of a king. Michael is concerned about image. And yet, of course, she had an image in her bed, an idol. We're left with questions here. I don't think we can definitively say this is what was motivating Michael in a specific way. But what we can say is that there was no genuine faith on her part. I don't think this is an issue of a genuine believer that is trying to pick the speck out of somebody's eye, but the indication of an unbeliever like her father. So let's look here briefly at David's response. Let's read verses 21 and 22 together here. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I'll play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Now, is David just, you know, being defensive here and not listening to what his wife is telling him? I think not. David here is responding with two main ideas, and we see it in both of the verses. That's why I read them together here. And the first main idea that he makes is an audience of one idea. Sometimes you hear people use this terminology that uh, we're not concerned about what other people think. We're only concerned about what that one person thinks. And so we do everything to impress them or something like that. And it may be, you know, some girl that we like, (laughs) Or, in this case, God, ultimately. David is only concerned to honor God. He doesn't care what other people are thinking. He's not concerned to honor himself. You know, standing there all prim and proper with kingly garments and walking just the right way. He's not concerned what other people are thinking. He is concerned about honoring his God. Now I do not think that this passage is telling us don't worry about modesty, but do remember that Adam and Eve worshipped God without any clothes before sin, and uh, you you wonder if that's part of what David has in mind—that if I expose myself before God, who cares? That—that's not a problem. But again, he's got this audience of one mentality. He's not concerned what other people think, only pleasing God. Note the language he uses in verse 21. It was before Yahweh, the end of the verse. I play music before Yahweh. In verse 22, he says in the middle of the verse here, I will be humble in my own sight. Or to put it another way, I'm going to humble myself before the Lord. So it doesn't matter if I look foolish. It doesn't matter if I don't look kingly. Those who love God are really not concerned about other people's opinions. Those who love God will respect others who worship sincerely, even if it's not perfectly. Now, of course, in our circles, we very rarely have exuberant worship. It's quite solemn and reserved, We don't hear a bunch of hallelujahs or amens, (laughs) maybe a grunt and a vigorously nodding head. But um, nevertheless, worship should be sincere. And that's really what David is emphasizing here. I'm sincerely worshiping God. I'm not caring about any of these external things. Now let me briefly make this point. David clearly was not dancing in a called worship setting in the same kind of formal way that we would do in church or you do in the temple or something like that. Uh, dancing and leaping have a place for worshiping God, but right, we make distinctions here. Um, the main point that I think that we should make for ourselves is let's not be like Michael and despise those who are worshiping God and engaged in it and so forth. Now, we, um, again, in our circles, we prize being reverent before the Lord. Uh, Excitement is just fine, too. Maybe we're a bit more like Michael than we think. Maybe the outward is a bit too important for us. In our circles, though, it's not as much this way in, in the current day, but It has commonly been, and I've heard it said, well, that person's not wearing a suit, or that person's not wearing a dress, or they get upset when somebody raises their hands or responds a bit too loudly with their grunt. Exuberant worship, if that offends you, then where is your heart? If externals don't meet your standards, then where is your heart? What is most important to you? Authentic worship, when we see it done, should encourage us. It should challenge us for us to do even more. It should lead us to praise God. Now, sincere worship does not have to be loud or boisterous, but it does need to be genuine and sincere, heartfelt, so the simple question for us is, is your worship that way? Now if we're honest with ourselves, we would recognize that no, it is not. Certainly not perfectly. Certainly not throughout the whole service. There may be moments of the service where it is, and other times it's it's just falls short. If you attend worship regularly, but infrequently worship then you have to wonder, are you more like Michael than you are David? Now again, let me make it clear. Emotionalism is not the point here. If you sing praise and worship songs, that does not mean you are worshiping necessarily. Lifting your hands and so forth doesn't guarantee that you're worshiping. Do not be fooled by tears. Do not be fooled by raised hands or pulsing music. That isn't necessarily an indication of genuine worship. And in fact, maybe we could argue it's an indication that it's not genuine based on their efforts to manipulate people through the ideas of Moody and Finney and so on and so forth. But a bowed head without any movement in silence may actually be far more worshipful than someone who is jumping up and down in excitement. But again, the point here is not the externals. The point is the heart And Michael's heart was not good. And for David, that's all he's concerned about. I am here to worship the Lord. I don't really care about these other things. One commentator put it this way. Michael loved David the warrior, but she despised David the worshippers. The worshipper here, excuse me. She got all excited when David was beating Goliath and all the Philistines and, you know, he's winning all the great football games, so to speak. But when it came to genuine worship, she could care less. And so the challenge for us is, where are we? We might sit here week by week and come to worship and go through the motions, but are we actually worshiping? Or are we more concerned about outward things like Michael. Well, the second thing that David mentions here is that David understands her objection as an attack on his throne. He no- Notice what he says, verse 21. Yahweh has chosen me, right? Who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler of the people of the Lord over Israel. Yahweh chose me as king, not your father. And as we'll see in the next chapter, Yahweh will choose David's house to continue in the the monarchy, but God had rejected Saul's house. I am king because God chose me. There is a new order, Michael, your father did not care about worshiping Yahweh, but I do. Your king, or excuse me, your father was a king like the nations, pompous and aloof and dictatorial. But for me, I'm king only because God chose it. Okay? Note, again, his emphasis. He appointed me. He chose me. Maybe you could put it this way. For Saul, he was Israel's king. For David, he was Yahweh's servant, who happened to be king. It's a very different focal point. Michael here is acting like the rejected king. Notice her name. If you go back to verse 16, note the added words for her name. Saul's daughter. Look at verse 20. Same thing. Michael, the daughter of Saul. Verse 23, Michael, the daughter of Saul. Three times there is this emphasis. It doesn't say the wife of David. It doesn't say, um, you know, the sister of or, you know, something like that. You think of Jonathan or whatever. Uh, no, the daughter of Saul. We, three times we are being driven to this idea that she is acting like her father. And so David feared Yahweh. Not Saul. He did not, nor did his daughter. David, as we might say, put God first in his life. Saul didn't. His daughter didn't. And so again now, the challenge for us is, where do we line? Line up here. Are we like Michael, or are we like Saul, or are we like David? All right, now, verse 23. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Now, some have said this is because David had no relations with her. He was mad, and so he basically kept his distance from her. Uh, Others have said it's because God kept her from having children. She was barren. Uh, Probably both that is true here. But whatever the case, notice that Michael is cursed. Saul's house is being judged yet again. The surviving uh, children of Saul are either dead or have a dead womb in this case. And remember our structure. Verses, again, if you look here on your outline, verse 10 and 11 focus on Obed-Edom and the blessing and now here especially verse 23 we see the exact opposite you remember when we were trying to discern who and Edom was and so forth and probably he was the one described in first chronicles who had 62 sons Michael has none note the contrast if we're going to reject God like Michael does then don't expect any blessings But remember, Michael went to church every week, it seems, part of God's people. We can look the part, but if we're not authentic, God knows. And in the end, he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And so let us make it right now. If our worship is not in a good place, let's not wait until that day where there is no more hope. Repent of our sins. Let us look, in this case, to David and his example. And let's look away from Michael and her example. So, a few thoughts here tonight from this passage. And we will turn, Lord willing, next time and begin another very significant passage here in 2 Samuel. And that's the Davidic covenant. So let's pray together. Our Father, our God, we thank you that you have given us your word here in this way to challenge us. We are thankful, Lord, that you have given us the privilege of worship, that we can come into your presence even now, not based on our efforts, not based even on the sincerity and genuineness of our worship, but as we talked about this morning, apart from law, through faith in Christ, we can come before you now because of his righteousness, And for this, Lord, we give you thanks and we give you praise. But, Lord, we also then ask that by your Spirit, you would enable us to evaluate ourselves, evaluate ourselves regarding our worship. Help us, Lord, to see where we actually are, and may it drive us to you in repentance and in faith. Lord, we acknowledge that you are worthy of our worship. We acknowledge that it it can be very exciting and and a wonderful, wonderful event as we've seen in the last uh, few weeks. But we are left with another challenge, not just obeying like Uzzah did not do and David and the rest, but even here in this way. Lord, we uh, pray for your mercies. Pray that you would draw each of us to yourself. And that you would receive our feeble efforts of worship through Christ even now. And so we pray all these things then in Jesus' name. Amen.